0: welcome to episode 75 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, clearly got the yellow memo today. Uh, <laughs> all marvellous in mustard we have our very handsome horticulturalist Alan Edward Herbert Gray.
1: Thank you very much and you got the, the mustard memo as well because you've got a, a touch of yalla going on there. Um, Cambridgeshire, Thordis well. Maria <laughs> Sophia Bridges. <laughs>
0: Joining us about five minutes down the road um, from where I am broadcasting, we have got Mr. Snowdrop himself for a podcast. Can you
2: remember? Can you remember my middle names?
0: Oh, no, I can't. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) So shall I just call you Mr. Snowdrop to cover the fact that I can't remember Uh... your middle names? (laughs) Go on (laughs) then. So Joe Sharman, what were your middle names? I've forgotten.
2: Lawrence LePlay.
0: Of course. Write it down, (laughs) write it down. Get my pen, write it down. Joe, Lawrence lepay Sharman, Mr. Snowdrop with some snowdrops to show us, lots of accompanying plants as well. Um, You, I think, have had an interesting growing season, Joe, as everybody else has. Yes, it's been remarkably cold. I'm not going to say it's
2: been really cold, but it's been cool and stable and dry it's held everything, the dryness as well as the coolness, it's held everything back. So we did this before and it's just a completely different set of plants. So we do have one or two things which are looking quite pretty, so uh, we've got the the gorgeous um, Cyclamen elegans and Cyclamen elegans is quite closely related to Cyclamen coom, but it flowers uh, just before Christmas and coom tends to flower just after Christmas and elegans is unique in coming from Um, just the south coast of the I think it's the Caspian Sea um, in Iraq and Iran on that on there's a line of uh, mountains and forests Uh, it's almost like a temperate rainforest and cyclamen elegans is on its own in that area it's not as variable as cyclamen coom but it is extremely pretty and as I say the very useful flowering just before Christmas really really useful
0: I've just realized I've been saying cyclamen coom wrong my whole life (laughs) what have you been saying then I think I've just gone full Norfolk on it and go Cyclamen coom. Coombe. Coombe. Yeah, exactly. But, but do, do you say
2: couch grass or do you say cooch? I think <laughs> I say cooch, which which should it be? Well, you've, somebody's obviously slapped you at some point in the past then because the number of people I get who say couch, I'm saying, no, it's not a sofa, it's not a settee, it's a grass. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, on with knots. So um, beautiful plant, very early flowering, Scylla Mistchenkoana variety tubergeniana. Uh, and I know, Thordis, you're going to spell this one correctly. <laughs> um, and there's two forms of this. So, this is the tubergeniana form, which always flowers a really just after Christmas in, in January, very early on in the garden as well. And there's a second form, which is darker and later, which is Scylla Mistchenkoana Zvannenberg. And Zvannenberg is much rarer. And if you can get it, it's, it's a really good plant. Same kind of style, but slightly darker, and as I say, later flowerings, so but gives you a longer season of these lovely pale blue fillers. So that's Cilla Mischenkoana.
1: Mischenkoana tubigenian. yeah. Is that yeah. Van Tubergen? Yes, yeah, from Van Tubergen. He
2: he he raised a, a, a whole series, which like a lot of things that he did, he claimed they were hybrids, but often they weren't. They were good selections as opposed to actually being hybrids. but. It, it, it can often be, when you're doing this kind of work, it can be quite difficult to know whether you've actually genuinely got a hybrid or not.
1: He was quite prolific, because I mean, yeah. I see that, and you just said it so beautifully, too, but how do you say it? Tuberchen. Tuberchen. Tuberchen.
2: More Flem, Anyway, the thing is, that that was his name, but the nursery was in the village of swanenberg And swanenberg means Swan Fort or Swan Hill. So yeah. is there, any plant that's Varnenberg is obviously named by Van Tubergen. There's yeah. a strong connection between the two. Uh, yeah. And
0: the ceiling you just showed, I think on camera it looked maybe a, a tiny bit washed out, but I just saw it in person um, when I popped by your, your it, nursery.
2: It, it, it looks washed out. You're, you're right. It does look washed out in camera, but in the garden, I mean they're really cheap and they're really cheap to buy. You can get a lot. You can put them in, and they look absolutely stunning on mass. With me, they've not really seeded. I have still a seed. I've got still a Siberica and various other things that seed freely. With this, this this one doesn't. But it's very, very cheap to buy if you want to make a good show.
0: And I think in real life, when you see it face to face, it's got a sort of, uh, it glows more than I think yeah, it you can does. pick up on yeah, the camera. Do you want to go on a little bit? Well, I think so. Though I think, I think it's worth sort of noting that people might, um, I suppose, you know, gardeners who garden for a long time know that with each season things are different but sometimes if you're gardening in your own garden you can feel like you're just struggling away on your own and it's worth knowing that everybody's having this this season I mean Alan how has it been treating you at East Ruston?
1: Remarkably well I'm afraid to say (laughs) (laughs) well it has because I mean apart apart from I think higher moisture levels than we normally have um, it's been we haven't had the any seriously penetrating frosts. We've had the odd frost once once or twice, um, but it's been quite remarkable in that um, lots of our snowdrops in actual are, are early this year. Um, and I mean, it starts way back in October with the um, Regina Olgay varieties. Um, and then we had Tile Barn Jamie and that, take, that then after that we have, begins with a B, I can't remember the name, it slipped my mind, Barnes. Yeah,
2: um, Barnes, yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, then suddenly it's a kind of crescendo time because suddenly, you know, three ships, Christmas time, boom. (laughs) And then Glenorma, for instance, that suddenly appears. And, you know, I don't go past all of my snowdrops every day because it take me an hour to walk around and look at them all. Um, But I go through various areas of garden and I suddenly think, my gosh, look at that. That was three little pots. And there's probably one or two bulbs in a pot. And I've got three big clumps um and it it fills you with joy because you you tend to sort of think you say well I must do something with those I've got to increase that area so that it you know because a drift will look much more stunning than three clumps so that's my aim that's what I aim to do and I'm I'm carrying my notebook around with me whether I'll ever get around to doing them all probably won't but you know I certainly do some of them <laughs> yeah I mean you, you can you can either do
2: them in the green now but that will look a mess or you can wait until the summer but the the issue in the summer is finding them. Yeah. Um, and now is it is easier. My my favorite time to move them is when they're probably only about this high. They're big enough to hold, but not actually open. Yeah. And that's when I tend to do the splitting. And then what they do, they sit in the ground and they actually turn themselves around and they start to look beautiful in their own place in their own way after you've split them. Splitting them during flowering or after flowering, you know, always looks a mess and there's no two ways about
0: it. Yeah. Which of your snowdrops are you most pleased with this year, then, Alan? Oh
1: dear, um, <laughs> generally, I mean, I love all of them, and I'm I'm, I'm very pleased with, um, I think most of them. The way they're made up, I mean, the trim, 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 trimmer, trimlet, and all those, they are great at increasing. Um, and we've we started with small parts of those, and we've now got quite big clumps of those. So I'm very pleased with those. Um, I don't think there's any that um, that particularly stand out, really.
0: I wondered if Um, you might mention your golden fleece.
1: (laughs) Well, my golden fleece, I have just bought golden fleece, and I got it from Brian, actually. Um, And um, I haven't dared to to plant it out yet. (laughs) Well, Joe will understand if I say that, um, you know, sometimes um, people will help themselves when they're not invited to help themselves. And if you've got a newly planted plant in the garden and somebody recognises it, even if I just hide the label up or something, somebody's going to know that's golden bleeds and it could easily disappear into a, shall we say, a slightly dishonest person's pocket. Um, So, no, they're not planted out yet.
2: (laughs) Yeah, what we used to do on the nursery, if I had something that was particularly special, I would go and cut the flowers off. And you may say that's a tragedy, and it is a tragedy, because I wanted to enjoy it. But in order to stop somebody stealing it, we cut the flowers off. And then, you know, that gives it time to get established. It's not wasting its time flowering. I know you'd love to enjoy it, but, you know, it just swings around about, isn't it? You know, it, yeah. it could be better to do that. So I'd um, be brutal and just flowers <sharp inhale> gone.
1: You know, and on the commercial, fact- oh, you're, you're a garden and I'm a nursery. So, you know, it's. Yeah. Yeah. But in actual fact, I, I can understand. I think a few more people ought to do that. Um, they ought to forego the first year of flowering. Um, and I mean, if you take a plant like some of the blue poppies, the Mechanopsis. If you stop them flowering for the first year, they're much more likely to be longer in uh, have a longer life as a perennial. I'm not saying in this eastern side of of the country they will do well because they don't do terribly well here. They like the coolth and the moisture and the coolness of the of the north. Um, But at least if you have the courage, and I know, thought is you didn't.
0: (laughs) No, no, I did. No, you. you So my my blue poppy story. I was just about to erupt with a word of warning, which is I did this and. Against my usual uh, sort of methodology, I thought, no, I will forego the pleasure. I will cut this off and I will wait. And I managed to get it through. I remember it. it now. Got to the next year and it was white. <laughs> no, <laughs> white. <laughs> and it wasn't blue at all. So just one small word of warning. But on the whole, you should do what Alan says. In all ways, Um, in all things.
1: (laughs) I once bought plants of a variegated honesty. um, And I I was looking so forward to them coming into flower, you know. Lunaria is one of the earliest flowering plants, I suppose, in the garden, apart from snowdrops and cyclamen and and aconites and things like that. But it's very early and I was so looking forward to this plant blooming. And when it flowered, again, it was white. And I rang and complained to the nursery woman who'd sold them to me. And she said, well, you're very lucky, you know, because they really are quite rare. I said, I don't care whether they're rare or not. That's rubbish. They're rubbish. The the, the white one,
2: the white one is actually more common than the purple one.
1: (laughs) I wish I'd had you with me when I was on the phone, (laughs) Joe.
0: And just think, so often white flowers are are so sought after and... uh, and revered, and yet there are two instances where we really didn't want the white one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I brought up Golden Fleece because I thought that might uh, propel Joe into his next bit of show and tell. Okay, well, there's a
2: whole lot of stuff that's going on which isn't necessarily snowdrops, because if the snowdrops aren't up, then we have to look at some other bits and pieces. And one of my favourite plants, i just get it here, um, is uh, Lonicera Yeah, I, I bet Alan grows that. It's not scented, but it's got the biggest flowers. I mean, it really, it really, when it's in the garden and you get a plant of it in a, in a shady spot, it looks absolutely fabulous. As I say, it's not scented. It comes earlier than the scented one. So I'm enjoying the show now, yet none of my eyes or eyes or any of those are flowering yet. And yet this is one is looking glorious. And it flowers for a really long period of time as well. So as a garden plant, it's very, very good value. Impossible to kill, I've not managed to kill mine. You know, in my horrible soil. So it is a superb thing. So um that's the lithera So you grow that one, Alan.
1: Yes, I do. I, I think I've got about four four or five plants of it. Now the thing is, when I've got two different plants, um, and
2: one of them has got purple leaves in the summer. So I'm propagating the purple leaved one because I think if you have a summer leaf bonus as well as the pretty flowers, then that's something that definitely worth needs doing you know, he's doing. So so I'm trying to just propagate one of the clones I have. I feel it's better. I don't know whether Alan Alan, if you've got that many plants, is one of them better? Do you feel one of them's better than
1: the others? I haven't noticed, Joe. In all honesty, no, I haven't. My plant originated from Richard Hobbs, who okay. often has some quite good plants, and it was it was bought as a tiny little twiggy thing. Yeah. Um. Um. And you know, you wouldn't think it was going to be a, a shrub. I don't know, meter and a bit tall and, and as much across. Yeah, my mine's, mine's
2: my biggest plant's two meters now. So yeah, you know,
1: right.
2: they they can get quite big, but they're always very fine and delicate. They're never. Yeah chunky. They're look sort of really elegant in the garden. They offer very good news. Right, so I've got one or two things I was going to, just interesting bits I was going to talk about. So, um, and then we'll go on to some snowdrops, but let's talk about this first. This is, as everybody knows, uh, Ophiopogon planiscapis nigrescens. Okay, now I want to point out there's there's some newer forms are appearing of this plant, which are definitely worth looking out for. And the first one, it's a little tiny miniature one with very narrow leaves called uh black needles and it's a translation the japanese uh name is hosobo kokurayu but we the english have translated that to black needle so it's much smaller slower growing very very fine leaves so far with me it hasn't flowered or doesn't flower as much as the um uh, the original clone of Nigrescent, but it's a worth a plant well worth looking out for and the second one I've got, which is completely new to me, I'd never seen this before. I bought this at a plant fair as Planiscapus nigrescens, but it's clearly not. It's clearly a dwarf uh, japonica type plant with black leaves. And I don't know who created this, I don't know anything about this plant at all. I just bought it as nigrescens, obviously realizing that it really wasn't. But if you're out and about, and you're looking for a really dwarf black thing that looks like it's dead or a hedgehog that's died in a the pot, <laughs> then then this is the part to have. But I just want to point that out to people that there is more than one form of um, nigressions about and that you can find them and I am finding them. So
0: um, uh, should we get to the one or
2: two snowdrops?
0: Yeah, go on then. I love how you, you've built up the suspense. <laughs> the people who are here for the snowdrops have been left to, to wait a few moments, but... It's going to be worth the wait. We'll get there.
2: <laughs> so, so, so one of these, I got an ooh and an R ah from a certain young lady when she came to visit. <laughs> um, I'm going to hold it very close to the camera so you can see what the flowers are doing. And it's one of those little green jobs. So it's got two green marks on each one of the outers. Yeah. OK, and that's the one that I've called Kencott Ripple, as in um, raspberry ripple ice cream. Uh, there's another little flower doing the same thing, two marks on the outer. So that's really, really unusual. And it's, um, but it doesn't always do the character. So we will have to be very careful that we only sell the ones that are doing the right thing. And this is something you find out with snowdrops is that they can vary quite a lot from year to year. And people don't really quite understand that. They think they've bought a thing and it's always going to be the same forever. But in the snowdrop world, we know that in one year it can do one thing, Another year, it can do another thing. And you have to understand that kind of variability. For instance, um, Galanthus uh, grumpy, uh, I've had years with it when it's had no eyes at all. And, you, um, and, uh, and other, other years when you get a lot of doubles flowering, then the next year you don't get a single double. So they, they, it, it, they do vary enormously from year to year. So that's something you need to be aware of when you're growing snow. And We do get the odd complaint when people say, well, it didn't do what it was supposed to do. And we just have to say, we'll just wait till next year. Let it settle down. Um, you know, that's, you just, that's all you can do. Uh, another really unusual one. So the spade has become like three or four separate petals, each one with a green tip. And um, this is another one of those incredibly chaotic and variable plants. So every flower will be different. So you get a clump. Uh, one year, the flower will be normal. The next year, it could have one spade, two spades, three spades. Sometimes the flower has got extra bits all over it. So every year it's completely different. And this is one I called uh, The Curse of the Weir Rabbit. Because because I do like my films um, and The Curse of the Weir Rabbit just seemed to be completely appropriate
0: for a plant that had gone totally bonkers. Uh, I love that there's a snowdrop with a punk hairdo. (laughs) It's brilliant. I think that
1: in actual fact, I find it intriguing that the curse of the weir Rabbit and those like it um, don't perform exactly the same every year. So, you you know, you get a surprise. Everyone gets a surprise. Some years will be better than others. But I think that, that to have that variety is really interesting.
0: Yeah, a plant that surprises you. I mean, that's yeah. why we're into gardening, for the surprise of every growing season. <laughs> yes. Coming
2: back, folks. So another one I'd like to show you is um, uh, the most superb. So drop on, I'm going to use the word teruji form here and Alan, and I will give you the most beautiful description of what teruji form means only in person. Unless, unless you want, Understood. Me, to explain, unless you want to explain, me to explain it now, but my best explanation is slightly rude.
0: So the rest of us just have to be left in, uh, in mystery about teruji form. <laughs> next, next podcast. <laughs>
1: We'll have,
2: see, we'll have to see how much Alan laughs when I tell him. Anyway, <laughs> all right, okay. So the next one is the most beautiful Teresia form with enormous flowers. Ooh. And it's called Ivington Green. I think, Alan, you may have this. Do you have I- Ivington Green?
1: No. But I'd, I'd like to.
2: This pot is yours. Is yours for a mere £4,000, Alan. You can have this pot for me. <laughs> I know you can afford it, so... Uh, <laughs> So if you want to invest, it is an <laughs> investment. Um, Ivington Green, we're selling for 200 right. And we have no problem selling it at that price. The flowers are enormous for a form snowdrop. So that's Galanthus Ivington Green.
0: That is beautiful. Right. I thought that was going to be expensive when you lifted up such a comely clump.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Another one here, which we, we have talked about before, this is, this is Golden Fleece. I uh, just thought we'd better wave it into this, you know, wave it into this podcast, you know, <laughs> just so that it is there. And if you look very carefully, and I know I know you are looking carefully, but you can't, from twin scaling, one here has lost its yellow tips.
1: Ah. Yes. Yeah.
2: And this this is a known problem with twin scaling, the tipped ones, the 2 form varieties, is that they will lose their tips. Now, sometimes the tip is gone forever and will never come back. So for instance, we would not sell this. We we would plant this out and just see if it comes back again. So we, we would only sell the ones that are actually performing where the flower has got the tips all the way around. Okay. But for us, it's interesting that some varieties revert and then will never come back again. That's just part of you know what we're doing. We're, we're sort of learning about them as we go all the time.
0: And I'm sure um, most people watching this or listening to this will know about twin scaling, but just quickly talk about what okay that is.
2: twin scaling uh, basically you get um a bulb you get one of those garlic crushers and you put the bulb in the garlic crusher and you go like that and then you put the resulting mess into a bag with some verbeculite and you let it stew over the summer and over the summer each little piece of that bulb that you've broken up will make a new little bulbill and then you plant those little bulbils out in the autumn and then four or five years later you'll have flowering size bulbs Okay, that's a, that's a pricey, a simple pricey of, of twin skin. Okay, just... So
0: it's, it's funny that that then results in some of them just giving up on their, their markings. It's
2: because um, some of them have to have... The character is only in the base plate of the snowdrop. So if your little piece that you've cut up has the base plate on it, then the character is in the base plate. But we also have... Um, Uh, a thing where a new little bulbil can come on the side of the bulb, but it's not coming from the base plate, it's coming from the side. And whatever genetic composition that cell had that created the bulbil is what's going to be passed into the new plant. So if the genetic composition of the one cell was different from what's in the base plate, then you're going to get a different result.
0: That's amazing. And once you
2: start understanding that, then you can see why you get these these off types in that way.
0: Did you know that, Alan?
1: No, I didn't. I, d- <laughs> I didn't. I, I, I had a, I had the, in my head, I had that you were slicing the bulb up with a very sharp instrument.
2: I'm joking about the
1: garlic crusher. Come on,
2: come on. The garlic crusher. That's old. No, we get a really, really sharp knife, and we just chop it into little bits. Yeah.
1: Well, I was going to say to you, Joe, what is there an optimum number that you shouldn't go beyond when you're chopping up a bulb? Um,
2: well, we, we did, we, yeah, we did an experiment once with Diggory. And yep. I cut I cut one bulb with Diggory into seventy pieces, God. and every single one worked. Wow! But it it then took it a year longer to get up to flowering size. Yeah. So if you have a small bulb, um, you want to have big chips. Yeah. Because you won't get so many. So a small bulb might only go into six chips. Yeah. But we we're, we're working on an average of twenty five chips per bulb. That's what we're aiming for. Is twenty five roughly per bulb. Yeah. But I say it really depends on the bulb size. So we, you, know, you can't change the bulb size. You have to go with it.
1: Well, it is quite amazing that, that in actual fact, that some snowdrops have a, um, an alarmingly large-sized bulb.
2: <laughs> oh, they do. Yeah. Particularly the, particularly the Elwes. Some of the Elwes varieties have got enormous bulbs. Yeah. It's actually a problem in, it, in itself when you're chopping them up because in order to hold them still, you know, you've got a... And your razor blade, you know, your razor blade is only a certain length. And you've got a bulb that's too big, you've got to make two chops, and it's actually more complicated. So it's nicer to have a bulb, which is like a nice average, medium-sized bulb as opposed to being a monster or being a little
1: tiny one. I think this is where surgical instruments might come in handy. Um, because <laughs> okay. well, you, do, you know, no, no, you do. I mean, you get I I have certain um nippy-tweezer things that are used in surgical operations. How did that you I get use... those, Alan? <laughs> How did you get those? And why, and why, why did you get those?
0: Um, oh, what yeah. I think we've learned here is, Alan, size isn't everything, apparently. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> What's up next then, Joe? Right, what I'm going to do now is I'm
2: going to show you one of the crosses that I've done. So I took um, a... Narcissus, which is called Cedric Morris, which flowers yeah. from November through to January. So that's Narcissus Cedric Morris. And then I took Narcissus pallidiflorus. And pallidiflorus is a very large flowered pale uh, daffodil. The flowers is as big as a, uh, often as many cultivars, but it is a species in its own right. Very large pale flowers. And as you can see, it's not in flower. Yeah. Okay. But then cross those two together ended up with a daffodil which is in flower now so it's, we're we're in uh, january it's been in flower uh, probably since early january uh, a much larger flower and the color is intermediate between the two parents and at the moment there's only one bulb of this and i shall be chopping it up and and away we go and because i would love to have um more color variation in daffodils earlier in the year and if i can get one this color that flowers before christmas then I think I've got, you know, a real winner, basically. So that's, you know, that's what I've been doing. This is one of Alan's favourite plants. Um, you know, Alan likes uh, an interesting thing, and this, strangely, it has got a label in, written by Alan. Really? Um, yeah, really, yeah. It's uh, it's a Hedera um, hibernica angularis aurea, which I think Alan's been propagating and selling from East Ruston. And I've got an absolute passion for these arborescent forms of ivy, and I'm learning how to root them and how to grow them and propagate them and I'm trying to uh, propagate as many different ones as I can so it's really nice that Alan's done angularis aurea which I was able to just buy and not have to work hard to get the roots on. You've <laughs> done, 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 done the hard bit.
0: <laughs> yeah you're a big fan of these aren't you Alan? I do I love I love um, I love rooting the fruiting
1: bodies from ivies when they're interesting um, and I think it all stems from my first ever visit to Great they and they uh, christode uh, rooted uh, Hedera helix, the he it? Yeah, no, he's he's got a
2: huge, two huge plants of Algeriensis gladiomarengo. That's and the, the, there's what the Yeah, there's one gladiomarengo in the nursery area. So when you look at the nursery on the fence, there, there's one there. But yep. there's also one in the top garden, which is enormous. Yeah, it's yeah. stunning. So it's, it's Hedera Algeriensis gladiomarengo. And that, that's that was your inspiration. Well, my, my inspiration was I um, obviously a variegated plant nut. And um, one of the things that I collected when I was a bit younger was was somebody had learned how to root these things and I collected about five or six, put them in my garden and just forgot about them for years, and then suddenly I got back into them again and so I started to you know learn how to propagate them. Yeah. And but they are amazing. they're amazing things, aren't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of the plants that that, that should be more widely popular with people it's all about your attitude to stuff isn't it because if your attitude is that that's a whole yeah. plant i don't mm-hmm. want it
2: but it could equally be that's the most beautiful plant in the world i want more of it mm. you just have yeah. to almost change your change your headspace around and you don't have to let them seed.
0: what i love um, and it's, i think it's becoming clearer and clearer with this podcast is they're probably I don't know how many years ago or maybe still in some uh, areas is a, a hatred of irrigation and uh, um, on, on some plants. And I feel like that is going and people are just appreciating uh, the, the joy of irrigated plants and poo-pooing them a lot less. It depends on the leaf
1: <laughs> because, I mean, I love ordinary green laurel. I mean, I just love it. I grew up with it. I mean, climbing up into the branches of a very tall laurel and you could bounce up and down like hell, you know, and it wouldn't <laughs> break. I mean, it had the most wonderful fun. The variegated leaf for me is a mess. Sometimes a variegated leaf can be intriguing, can be what you want it to be as of Arimatelicum pictum, I think, um, and, and its cultivars. But sometimes if a variegated leaf looks as if it's been accidentally sprayed with weed killer, it's a turn-off. <laughs>
2: well, the problem, the problem for me here is that, that you're talking to somebody who's absolutely passionate about variegated plants and variegated leaves, and that could be a suggestion for you, uh, Tordis, is to do a podcast on variegation because it's one of the most amazing subjects and I spend a lot of my time looking at it. And there are a lot of people who get very sniffy about it. And when I was working in America, they were all, you know, they, they were really, really sniffy about variegation. And you just have to mention the eight word, And they go, yeah, yeah, no, I love that. So hosta, Americans go nuts for hostas. Hederas, they go nuts for hedera, but they're not variegated because they're hostas and hederas, you see. They're not actually variegated because it's a hosta or a (laughs) hedera. And the other part part that, that is everywhere in the American Midwest is variegated ground elder. It's absolutely everywhere because it will stand the summer heat and drought it will stand the winter cold. It will stand everything. And if you go to a Midwestern town, every garden has variegated ground Like It's just one of those things. And the only other plant they'll have, pasta. <laughs> they but they don't like variegated plants. Yeah, it's funny. It is funny. And, you know, when I worked over there, I worked on a massive nursery, and um, I would go around this huge nursery, and there would be, um, the odd plants had gone variegated. And the guys who, whose job it was to pick plants up wouldn't take them. And so you end up with this massive plant, huge plant. I mean, you had a pot full like this, a variegated agapanthus. Um, and then I would take them and I sent them all back home, didn't I? Because I was so mad and passionate about them. But really, honestly, because they thought there was something wrong. They thought they, they were ill or there was something wrong with them. And then they wouldn't take them. What's next? OK, I have got, and Alan has got this, because I know he had it. This is a beautiful orange-buried holly. I think, Alan, I gave you a set You of gave bodies. me some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like this one so much, I named it for myself on the spot. Now, most plantsmen have the ethic that they will not name plants for themselves because it's sort of, uh, you know, beneath them. It's sort of, um, you know, not you don't do thing. it. It's kind, of, it's kind of egotistical to name a plant for yourself, okay? So you subtly ask a friend to name something for you. But this was so stunning, I couldn't resist. And I really thought, right, I'm going to name this on the spot for me. And it's the most beautiful orange-berried holly uh, from a secret location in Norfolk.
0: So what did you call it? Is it just literally you? yes yeah, it's me. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh,
2: it's my, my, se- my selling name, my brand name is what <laughs> I've called it. <laughs> Alan will know all about selling names and brand names, won't you?
1: I do. Edward,
2: Edward Herbert.
1: <laughs> you, you, you don't stick that on your letters,
2: do you? No. <laughs> I
1: Maybe mean, I should. I quite like the ring of it. I hated it when I was growing up, but I don't mind it do today.
2: Yeah.
0: I love the anticipation of Joe disappearing and well, a little um, glimpse of something that's <laughs> tantalizing.
2: Right. So um, while we're still on the subject of variegation, here is Daphne Odora Marginator. From purchase from any good garden centre. And then you turn it round and it's doing that. Ooh. And you can just walk into your good garden centre and you can find something like this. Now, with this Daphne, uh, this particular sport has occurred many, many times before and has been named many times before. But it's cool. I've really now got my own on my own plant, which I can plant out
1: and enjoy.
0: So your, your normal Daphne has sported a much more exciting branch? Yes, yes, exactly, yeah. And there's
1: and one they, called Rebecca with that variegation, isn't there?
2: Yeah, and there's one with a Japanese name, I think, as well, isn't there, that's been around for ages. Yeah. So, so Daphne Odora Marginata is, is always sporting, and you just have to be there to, to see it. So this was in a batch of about 200 plants, and one branch was was this. But, you know, it has been through the nursery trade. Anyone in the nursery trade could have picked that out, and thought we can make some money here but they didn't and they, you know I, I saw it and I and I got it um there's a plant which we which I can only talk about but we can't show uh you know sanguineum. yeah there yeah. is a double form of sanguineum. and it was a branch sport on a plant in a garden center and the person who found it bought the plant the rest of the plant was completely normal he bought the plant and then propagated just that little branch sport Somebody had missed a trick, hadn't they? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you've you got to keep your eyes open. You've got to be aware. You've got to be looking all the time. You never know when the new thing is going to turn up.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a and bit they... like, I mean, we've talked before about buying plants from nurseries in the hope that something seeded into the pot. It's always an exciting thing if you oh, yes. buy a plant oh, from yes, yes. you or Richard Hobbs or, you know, Tim Fuller, and you think, oh, something exciting might have uh, have turned up in, in the pot along with the plant. That's how I
1: got um, Tropioleum smithii.
0: Yes.
2: Ah, okay. Well, my most common uh, pretty weed is Corydalis linstoriana, oh. which is a beautiful bluey uh, amethysty Corydalis, which just seeds around everywhere, but it's so pretty and it, it seeds into everything. And, um, you know, I'm sure people don't complain when they get that you know, because it's so beautiful.
1: <laughs> or Crocus thomasinianus either. I mean, Crocus thomasinianus, if you allow it to seed, it just goes everywhere.
2: It seeds into everything, exactly. It seeds into Mm. everything. But isn't it glorious when it does it? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, One of the other things I'm going to wave at you is I've got um, uh, the the earliest flowering with aconite. Uh, This is a lovely pale yellow. So, you know, if you don't like really strong yellows and you want something that's a bit more subtle and a bit more kind of... um, Smart. (laughs) 1970s lady who lunches. uh, All of whom... Yes! all of whom hated bright yellow. They all wanted a soft yellow. This would appeal to them. Anyway, so it's a beautiful pale yellow. I'm going to say it. And Taurus, you're going to write it down, aren't you, Taurus? Yeah? <laughs> I will. It's called Eranthus Hymalis Citron and Fylta. Right, so it's a beautiful pale yellow winter acrobat. And it comes true from seed as well. Because it's because it's such a hot day. Yesterday I was walking around in Cambridge with just a T-shirt on, and everybody else was in three layers with woolly hats and gloves, and there's me with just a T-shirt. It's a really hot day again. It's 11 degrees, but the snowdrops are actually flying. Hey! So they they open up when it's warm, and these are actually opening up. This is a particular variety um, which is called David, David Quinton. David Quinton was a very keen collector who sadly died... At the age of 42 from Etophag cancer. And so this plant was named for him. It's a beautiful poculiform snowdrop. Mm. Can you see it's got six yeah. six white petals, all the same length? And that's what classes is as a pocufine. It's not about it's not about um, whether they're green or not. So you can have green flowered forms. it's about all the petals being like outers and the same length. So that's um, David Quinton, which as you say is flying quite nicely. So I thought I'd put that one in.
0: Beautiful. Um, And and anybody who wants to really get into the nitty-gritty of snowdrops, of course, last year, and we'll make sure we link to it, you can... uh go and revel in a whole hour of galanthophilia, I think, with um, with the wonderful Valborn Brian Ellis, both sharing and kind of explaining in depth things like Peculifold and showing quite a substantial amount of varieties, quite a lot of which were flying because, of course, once we brought them inside, a lot of them then started to lift their wings um, rather than look as they would in the garden. But still, we you know, pictures on screen and everything. So it's a pretty comprehensive look. We missed out hundreds of varieties we wanted to talk about. Um, as, as is always the case. So we'll link to that so you can go back and, uh, and watch that one. But, um, but yeah, none of, I think, apart from Golden Fleece, everything you've mentioned today, Joe, has been different to that, that podcast.
2: Yes, well, um, I've got um, one of those plots I was talking about where uh, it doesn't always do it every year and um, is called Fay Clochette. And Fay Clochette is, means a little, fay is a fairy in French and Clochette is a little hat. So it's a little fairy hat. And it doesn't always do it. But this year, for whatever reason, it's all doing it. So if you can see, the petals are short. So the, the flower is what you call, we, we'd call this, the petals are truncate. So they're much shorter than they would normally be. Can you actually see that? Yeah. No. So, so they're, they're half the length of a normal flower. And this is one that we, we have uh, great problems with. because we, we, we sell it and it's correct. And the following year it comes up and it's wrong. And then we get a complaint and we just have to say, look, you know, just have to be patient. It's just one of those. It just moves backwards and forwards. It was found by um, the Reverend Richard Blake Gray Phillips in a churchyard in Shropshire many, many years ago. And the reason that very few people sell it is because they're not prepared to wait for it to form. They want a variety that's regular, reliable, stable, whatever. And, uh, you know, this, this is, this is why, you know, well, I'm one of the few people who actually can do this because, you know, I'm patient enough to wait until it does it. Well, well one, of, one, of, one of my passions is teasels. So uh, this, this is the normal teasel here. Okay, So we can see that's a normal teasel flower. And this is Dipsacus felonum. Dipsacus felonum, a very, very common teasel. Um, but introduced and spreading via the railway, interestingly. So the, the trains are moving around the country and they're spreading the seeds of another species. And it's always associated with railway lines. Um, and then it's always spread away from the railway and started to naturalize here and there. And this is Diptacus laciniatus. Now, superficially, very, very similar. The flower head is bigger on the philonum, and the bracts are narrower. And on the laciniatus, the bracts are much, much thicker and fatter and wider and the flower head is smaller and the plant is taller by at least two feet oh! and it, it tends to look very much more sort of thin and upright looking whereas your standard teasel has got this classic candelabra type shape to it doesn't it whereas this is much more thinner and or more upright so it's it's quite a different in character when you get it when you're growing it in the ground so that is spreading in uh, quite quickly up the railways that looks less in the atas. The other two I've got is um, one here, which is called Dipsacus pilosus, Dipsacus pilosus.
0: It's like lots of little pom-poms.
2: It's like little pom-poms. This is a a British native that only grows in very damp places by rivers, and um, it can easily be two and a half metres, you know, 10 feet tall. You know, it can get quite tall. Lots of little tiny flowers. So again, if I wave the... Original teasel against it, you can see the difference. So this is Dipsacus pilosus, which is a native, a native teasel, very rare but native. And then there's an alien species which has come in, which is called Dipsacus strigosus. So it's got the same very rounded heads, but they're much, much bigger. So you can see if I put the two together. Let's see if I can get two together right here. You can yeah. see the heads, the head of the strigosus is much bigger than the heads of the pilosus. And this is the introduced one, so it's like a And bizarrely in Cambridge, there's been one locality for this since the medieval period. So whether it was accidentally introduced or deliberately introduced, we don't know, but it survived there all this time. And it's it spread a little bit. So there's some in the churchyard, Great St. Mary's Churchyard in, in Cambridge. Oh, sorry, Little St. Mary's, I think. There's some there and somebody must have physically moved that. They must have taken move it but every now and again, we get reports of the odd plant appearing on the side of the A14 or <laughs> on the side of the M11. And the thing is that, as we know, goldfinches love teasels. And they will often take a mouthful of teasel seeds and fly off. And then if they're disturbed, they will drop them. And so these plants can then be got, you know, they will move around. These birds are helping to move these plants around. So these alien species, the drygosus is being moved by birds, we think. And the Laciniaus is definitely being moved by trains.
0: What an education in teasels! <laughs> <Teaseltastic>. <laughs> teasel tastic! Terrible, teaseltastic, teasel teasel Yeah, exactly. Alan, you love a teasel at East Ruston. I do. I
1: I just love the way that the, I love the structure of the plant. I love the way that. The flowers open from the middle and and in a ring around that cone. I love the way that the leaves clasp the stem, and they always have a little pool of water in them in the mornings, even on a in in the summer. I don't know how it works. How it, well, perhaps you do, Joe? I don't know. Um, and I love the fact that they feed birds. And I mean, you just mentioned goldfinches. We're lucky enough to have masses and masses of goldfinches, and I always leave teasels where they where I feel they're not in the way because I I. I don't, I mean, people look at them sometimes and they say, what have you left that weed for? Well, you know, a weed is not necessarily a weed because you say so, sir. It's, (laughs) Um, and lots of our weeds, of course, are vital to the, uh, to supporting the environment. Um, And so I think it's important not to, you know, not to be too tidy minded in your garden. Um, If you are, you're old fashioned and outdated. That's all I'm going to say. (laughs)
2: I, mean, I just, I just love the structure of these through the winter because they're giving you, you know, something for the frost to form on. They're giving you something to look at all through the winter. They're still standing up perfectly well now. They're looking fantastic now. Maybe another, you know, few weeks they'll have to go, but at the moment they're still looking great. So of these species, the the, the round headed ones do not have the cupped leaves, right? So they they will not collect that water. And I think the water that you're referring to in dry weather is it condenses on the leaf. Yeah. Because that flat surface of the leaf, the water condenses on the leaf and runs down. And it allows the plant to have a source of water when otherwise it's very, very dry. And obviously when it's busy growing and very active, it needs, it needs a lot of water to do its business. And it's trying to do that in July and August when there's the least water about. So it's yeah. a very useful strategy for collecting water to give yourself enough water to do your function.
0: And then of course, wildlife gets to benefit because
2: it catches in these little pools. Um, yeah, because, it works because for everybody. you know, birds can those
0: pools as well. Yeah. You know, wild,
2: wild, wild birds, you know, don't actually have necessarily a lot of water sources. And we get, for instance, we have a big water tank on the nursery and we'll have a queue of birds waiting to have a drink. And they'll, they'll sit on the edge of the water tank all the way around. And you can see them queuing up to go and have a drink on the water tank. Well, this is this is a more natural way of having a little supply of water for, for birds and for you know small mammals to drink.
0: I've basically got lots of teasel flomo now. I mean, I came into this with some flomo. I mean, obviously, lots of always snowdrop flomo because I won't allow myself to buy any yet. She says planning to you know go to a snowdrop fair, uh, <laughs> so we'll see how that that goes. Not yeah. known for my ability. To I've,
2: I've, I've seen. I've now seen your front garden. I know there isn't a lot of room for teasels in there, is there? No. It's sort of, it's sort of bursting all over the pavement. There's all these plants falling all over the pavement everywhere. You know it's her house.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no room for teasels in the front garden. Probably not in the back garden either, which isn't. Well, that you have much to put bigger. some.
2: In, you'll have to put some in the moat.
0: Yeah, yeah. There we go. There is yeah. a moat near me. Sadly, it doesn't belong to me, but maybe gorilla planting is in order. Yeah, um, exactly. Flow-mo time then. The point in the podcast where we share a flower plant. Something growing that has given us a serious fear of missing out. So I've got some teasel tastic flomo, but also um, I was looking through a bunch of magazines that I sort of had hanging around and spotted a beautiful cloud pruned Parotia persica, um, which, you know, I probably can't have anytime soon. But when I was looking back through photos of going to the botanic garden last winter, I remembered that it was the, the little red flowers of Parotia persica on its bare stems that had completely captivated me. So although I can't have it, what a beautiful tree in you know, in two seasons, beautiful flowers, amazing autumn color, and I'd never thought of cloud pruning it. So although I can't have it soon, I kind of want to add it to my flomo list now so I remember when I'm in a house where I can cloud prune one that that's what I want. So that's what I'm bringing to the flomo party. Do you, you must have some Parotia at East Ruston Allen.
1: I think we've got the odd one or two, but we don't really, I mean, they like soil that's slightly more moist than us, I think. Um, and I too saw that photograph and I thought, I wonder which expensive nursery they went and did a bit of instant gardening from there.
0: <laughs> Joe Sharman, what would you like to add to the Flomo party? What What would you like to get your hands
2: well, on? Well, a I've always wanted to grow and always failed with is Choralopsis. I absolutely oh. love Choralopsis, sort of early pale yellow, various different species. Um, But my garden is just too dry for them in the summer. There's too much competition. um, And every single time I've tried, I've lost them and I've virtually given up. I think the only way I can successfully do them would be in pots and grow them long-term in pots. But I do absolutely love that pale yellow flower, you know, first thing in the spring.
0: They are wonderful.
1: It's funny you should say that. I was talking to Richard Hobbs the other day, and Richard Hobbs said to me, "I've just took t- take some stems of coralopsis into the house. They were in bud, and they've opened up, and they're smelling wonderful." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, It's a shrub that I don't have. I have to say, so it's something that uh, we have had it, and and it's gone when gardens have changed, you know. So that I'm, I've written that down. Oh,
2: Alan, I would I would have said you had the perfect conditions for it because you've got uh, higher rainfall than I have. You've got the yep. shade. Uh, You've got perfect conditions. You should have no problem growing it at all.
1: No, I don't think I did before, but but uh, yeah, so that's one to. Have uh, you ignited my fire again? I think.
0: And <laughs> they have such lovely pendulous sort of yellow, lovely. Yeah, there
1: is a variety you can get which has hose in hose flowers, which is the one that we had. So you get you know double double the flower for your money if you like. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a wonderful one. I had one in my mum's garden. I maybe I should also add that to my FLOMO list, but you should. I have no room. Um, <laughs> Alan, what's your FLOMO this week? Well, my FLOMO are two very modest ones, and they come
1: from this podcast because as always with Joe, I mean we have a long list of lovely plants. Um, well, actually, there's three. Um, Cyclamen elegans are something I must have because um I've got Cyclamen coombe in all its Forms from the white through to the dark purple, from the plain leaf to the silver leaf, and they seed around and they're beautiful. But cyclamen elegans is something I'd like, but I'd like to have ten of them, please, Joe. <laughs> no, you
2: can have one. I've only got—I haven't got very many. You can have
1: one. Okay, yeah. it's a start. <laughs> yeah, um,
2: they'll see they seed about.
1: Yeah, and that lovely little scilla that you showed, which is Miss Chenchikwana. Yeah, I'd like that. Um, and I would love at some point that black dwarf pogan because I could see that making a lovely um, trough plant um, yeah. because it's, quite, it's the right scale. Yeah. And if you take it a step further, um, I was looking in my troughs the other day and pulling a few weeds out, pulling some leaves off and all the rest of it. And I've got some lovely little, little narcissi with flowers coming on them. They're buds at the moment. They're not out yet. Um, I would love some very dwarf narcissi to go in my, my troughs. Kind of interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the the most beautiful, perfect miniature is one called Jacetanus Lionel Bacon. And it's just like a big daff, but it's only this tall. The exactly. it's Jassitanus Lionel Bacon. And then there's another small one called Gnosis Navarre, which is also very, very pretty and very small. So those are the kinds of things to look for. The, the person who does a lot of these daffos, or, or did, was uh, Carol Barron. And she's now died, but Michael's still going. So I have a feeling lots of these little tiny miniatures are not available commercially. Mm. And and I love them and I've been collecting them for years. So I've got a good collection of them, Uh, but only because I've been swapping and collecting, swapping and and not really, you know, not really buying them from nurseries. So they are around, but they're not really available. You know, they're they're difficult to get. But I mean, they are are absolutely fabulous. I I really love them. I love them way, way more than I love the big ones.
1: I really do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's where that's where trough gardening really does you a favour, because in the in the garden proper, they're likely to get lost unless you have a designated scree area. Um, But if you're gardening in a trough, you can really protect them and keep care of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I am absolutely full of planty delights and inspiration, Joe. Thank you for bringing along such a lovely lot of things. Anyone who sat down and thought, oh, well, there'll be a few snowdrops. And maybe a, an arancis or something. They have got such a wonderful wide spectrum of plants and some seed heads as well. So it's been a fabulous look at the season. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Alan Gray. Um, I will. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a memo next time so we can coordinate again.
1: I think you. I think you better. You better send me Joe's plant list too because um, there's going to be several things there that uh, I need to refer to. Shall we?
0: <laughs> say. Until next time, Joe. Though happy gardening. Happy gardening, everybody. Hey, Thordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening. And we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.